The Eye of Argon by Jim Thies. Presented by Role Playing Public Radio. Narrated by Faust Kells. The weather-beaten trail wound ahead into the dust-racked climbs of the barren land which dominates large portions of the Norgolian Empire. Age-worn hoofprints, smothered by the sifting sands of time, shone dully against the dust-splattered crust of Earth. The tireless sun cast its parching rays of incandescence from overhead. Halfway through its daily revolution, small rodents scampered about, occupying themselves in the daily accomplishments of their dismal lives. Dust sprayed over three heaving mounts in blinding clouds while they bore the burdensome cargoes of their struggling overseers. Prepare to embrace your creators in the Stygian haunts of hell, barbarian! gasped the first soldier. Only after you have kissed the fleeting steed of death, wretch, returned Grigner. A sweeping blade of flashing steel riveted from the massive barbarian's hide enameled shield as his rippling right arm thrust forth, sending a steel-shod blade to the hilt into the soldier's vital organs. The disemboweled mercenary crumpled from his saddle and sank to the clouded sword, sprinkling the parched dust with crimson droplets of escaping life fluid. The enthused barbarian swilveled about, his shock of fiery red hair tossing robustly in the humid air currents as he faced the attack of the defeated soldier's fellow-in-arms. Damn you, barbarian! shrieked the soldier as he observed his comrade in death. A gleaming scimitar smote a heavy blow against the renegade's spiked helmet, bringing a heavy cloud over the accordion's misting brain. Shaking off the effects of the pounding blow to his head, Gregner brought down his scarlet-streaked edge against the soldier's crudely forged hauberk, clinging harmlessly to the left side of his opponent. The soldier's steed whinnied as he directed the horse back from the driving blade of the barbarian. Gregner leashed his mount forward as the hoarsely piercing battle cry of his wilderness-bred race resounded from his grinding lungs. A twirling blade bounced harmlessly from the mighty thief's buckler as his rolling right arm cleft upward, sending a foot of blinding steel ripping through the Cimmerian's exposed gullet. A gasping gurgle from the soldier's writhing mouth as he tumbled to the golden sand at his feet and wormed agonizingly in his deathbed. Grigner's emerald green orbs glared lustfully at the wallowing soldier struggling before his chestnut-swirled mount. His scowling voice reverberated over the dying form in a tone of mocking mirth. You city-bred dogs should learn not to antagonize your better. Reining his weary mount ahead, 
Gregner resumed his journey to the Noragolian city of Gorzam, hoping to discover wine, women, and adventure to boil the wild blood coursing through his savage veins. The trek to Gorzam was forced upon Grigner when the soldiers of Kryn were leashed upon him by a faithless concubine he had wooed. His scandalous activities throughout the Sumerian city had unleashed throngs of havoc and uproar among its refined patricians, leading them to tack a heavy reward over his head. He barely managed to escape through the back entrance of the inn he had been guzzling in as a squad of soldiers tounced upon him. After spilling a spout of blood from the leader of the mercenaries as he dismembered one of the officer's arms, he retreated to his mount to make his way towards Gorzom, rumored to contain hordes of plunder and many young wenches for any man who has the backbone to wrest them away. 2. Arriving after dusk in Gorzom, Grigner descended down a dismal alley, reining his horse before a beaten tavern. The red-haired giant strode into the dimly lit hostelry, reeking of foul odors and cheap wine. The air was heavy with chalking fumes spewing from smoldering torches encased within Thedon's earthen-packed walls. Tables were clustered with groups of drunken thieves and cutthroats, tossing dice or making love to willing prostitutes. Eyeing a slender female crouched alone at a nearby bench, Grigner advanced wishing to wholesomely occupy his time. The flickering torches cast weird shafts of luminescence dancing over the half-naked harlot of his choice. Her stringy... <laughs> Her stringy orchid twines of hair swaying gracefully over the lithe, opaque nose as she raised a half-drained mug to her pale red lips. Glancing upward, the alluring complexion noted the stalwart giant as he rapidly approached. A faint glimmer sparked from the pair of deep blue ovals of the amorous female as she motioned toward Grigner, enticing him to join her. The barbarian seated himself upon a stool at the wench's side, exposing his body, naked save for a loincloth brandishing a long steel broadsword, an iron spiraled battle helmet, and a thick leather sandals to her unobstructed view. Thou hast need to occupy your time, barbarian, questioned the female. Only if something worth offering is within my reach, stated Grigner as his hands crept to embrace the tempting female, who welcomed them with open willingness. From where do you come, barbarian? And by what are you called? Gasped the complying wench, as Grigner smothered her lips with the blazing touch of his flaming mouth. The engrossed titan ignored the queries of the inquisitive female, pulling her towards him and crushing her sagging nipples to his yearning chest. Um, with, <laughs> with, 
Without struggle, she gave in, winding her soft arms around the harshly bronzed hide of Grigner corded shoulder blades. As his calloused hands caressed her firm protruding busts. You make love well, wench, admitted Grigner, as he reached for the vessel of potent wine his charge had been quaffing. A flying foot caught the mug Grigner had taken hold of, sending its blood-red contents sloshing over a flickering crescent, leashing tongues of bright orange flame to the foot-trodden floor. Remove yourself, Sarah! The wench belongs to me! blabbered a drunken soldier, too far consumed by the influences of his virile brew to take note of the superior size of his adversary. Grigner lithely bounded from the startled female, his face lit up to an ashen-red ferocity, and eyes locked in a searing feral blaze toward the swaying soldier. To hell with you, braggart! bellowed the angered accordion, as he hefted his finely honed broadsword. The staggering soldier clumsily reached towards the pommel of his dangling sword, but before his hands ever touched the oaken hilt, a silvered flash was slicing the heavy air. The thews of the savage's lashing right arm bulged from the glistening bronze hide as his blade bit deeply into the soldier's neck loping off the confused head of his senseless tormentor. With a nauseating thud, the severed oval toppled to the floor as the segregated torso of Grigner's bovine antagonist swayed, then collapsed in a pool of swirled crimson. In the confusion, the soldier's fellows confronted Grigner with unsheathed cutlasses, directed toward the latter's scowling makeup. The slut should have picked his quarry more carefully, roared the victor in a mocking baritone growl as he wiped his dripping blade on the prostrate form and returned it to its scabbard. The fool should have shown more prudence. However, you shall rue your actions while rotting in the pits, stated one of the sprawled soldier's comrades. Grigner's hand began to remove his blade from its leather housing, but retarded the motion in face of the blades waving before his face. Dismiss your hand from the hilt, barbarian, or you shall find a foot of steel sheathed in your gizzard. Grigner weighed his position, observing his plight, whereupon he took the soldier's advice as the only logical choice. To attempt to hack his way from his present predicament, could only warrant certain death. He was of no mind to bring upon his own demise if an alternate path presented itself. The will to necessitate his life forced him to yield to the superior force in hopes of a moment of carelessness later upon the part of his captors, in which he could effect a more plausible means of escape. You may steady your arms. I will go without a struggle. Your decision is a wise one. Yet perhaps you would have been better off had you forced the death. The soldier's mouth wrinkled to a sadistic grin of knowing mirth as he prodded his prisoner on with his sword point. After an indiscriminate period of marching through slinking alleyways and dim, moonlighted streets, the procession confronted a massive seraglio, 
The palace area was surrounded by an iron grating, with a lush garden upon all sides. The group was admitted through the gilded gateway, and Grigner was led along a stone pathway bordered by plush vegetation, lustfully enhanced by the moon's shimmering rays. Upon reaching the palace, the group was granted entrance, and after several minutes of explanation, led through several winding corridors to a richly draped chamber. Confronting the group was a short, stocky man seated upon a golden throne. Tapestries of richly draped regal blue silk covered all walls of the chamber, while the steps leading to the throne were plated with sparkling white ivory. The man upon the throne had a naked wench seated at each of his arms, and a trusted advisor seated in back of him. At each corner of the chamber, a guard stood at attention, with upraised pikes supported in their hands, golden chainmail adorning their torsos, and barred helmets emitting scarlet plumes enshrouding their heads. The man rose from his throne to the dais surrounding it, his plush turquoise robe dangled loosely from his chunky frame. The soldiers surrounding Grigner fell to their knees with heads bowed to the stone masonry of the floor in fearful dignity of their sovereign, Liege. Mm, explain the purpose of this intrusion upon my chateau. Your serenity, resplendent in noble grandeur, we have brought this yokel before you, the soldier gestured toward Grigner, for the redress of your all-knowing wisdom in judgment regarding his fate. Down on your knees, lout, and pay proper homage to your sovereign, commanded the pudgy noble of Grigner. By the surly beard of Merifk, Grigner kneels to no man, scowled the massive barbarian. You dare to deal this blasphemous act to me? You are indeed brave, stranger, yet your valor smacks of foolishness. I find you to be the only fool, sitting upon your pompous throne, enhancing the rolling flabs of your belly in the midst of your elaborate luxury and... The soldier standing at Grigner's side smote him heavily in the face with the flat of his sword cutting short the harsh words and knocking his battered helmet to the masonry with an echoing clang. The Ponchi noble's sagging round face flushed suddenly pale, then pastily lit up to a lustrous cherry red radiance. His lips trembled with a malicious rage while emitting a muffled sibilant gibberish. His sagging flabs rolled like a tub of upset jelly, then compressed as he sucked in his gut in an attempt to conceal his softness. The prince regained his statue, then spoke to the soldiers surrounding Grigner, his face conforming to an ugly expression of sadistic humor. Take this uncouth haven to the vault of misery, and be sure that his agonies are long and drawn out before death can release him. As you wish, sire. Your command shall be heeded immediately, answered the soldier on the right of Grigner, as he stared into the barbarian's seemingly unaffected face. The advisor, seated in the back of the noble, slowly rose and advanced to the side of his master, 
motioning the wenches seated at his sides to remove themselves. He lowered his head and whispered to the noble, Eminence, the punishment you have decreed will cause much misery to this scum, yet it will last only a short time. Then release him to a land beyond the sufferings of the human body. Why not mellow him in one of the subterranean vaults for a few days? Then send him to life labor in one of your buried mines. To one such as he, a life spent in the confinement of the Stygian pits will be an infinitely more appropriate and lasting torture. The noble cupped his drooping double chin in the folds of his briming palm, meditating for a moment upon the rationality of the counselor's words, then raised his shaggy brown eyebrows and turned toward the advisor, eyes aglow. Mm, as always, Agafen, you speak with great wisdom. Your words ring of great knowledge concerning the nature of one such as he, saith the king. The noble turned toward the prisoner with a noticeable shimmer reflecting in his frog-like eyes, and his lips contorting to a greasy grin. <laughs> I have decided to void my previous decree. The prisoner shall be removed to one of the palace's underground vaults. There, he shall stay until I have decided that he has sufficiently simmered. Whereupon he is to be allowed to spend the remainder of his days at labor in one of my minds. Upon hearing this, Grigner realized that his fate would be far less merciful than death to one such as he, who is used to roaming the countryside at will. A life of confinement would be more than his body and mind could stand up to. This type of life would be immeasurably worse than death. I shall never understand the ways if your twisted civilization. I simply defend my honor and am condemned to life confinement by a pig who sits on his royal ass, wooing whores, and knows nothing of the affairs of the land he imagines to rule. Lectures, Gregnir? Enough of this! Away with the slut before I loose my control! Seeing the peril of his position, Grigner searched for an opening. Crushing prudence to the sward, he plowed into the soldier at his left arm, taking hold of his sword and bounding to the dais supporting the prince before the startled guards could regain their composure. Agafund leapt Grignir and his sire, but found a sword blade permeating the length of his ribs before he could loose his weapon. The counselor slumped to his knees as Grignir slid his crimsoned blade from Agafund's ribcage. The fat prince stood undulating in insurmountable fear before the edge of the fiery-maned comet, his flabs of jellied rubber pulsating to and fro in ripples of flowing terror. Where is your wisdom and power now, your majesty? Growled Grigner. The prince went rigid as Grigner discerned him glazing over his shoulder. He swilived to note the cause of the noble's attention, raised his sword over his head, and prepared to leash a vicious downward cleft, but fell short as the haft of a steel-rhymed pike clashed against his unguarded skull. Then blackness and solitude. 
silence enshrouding and ever peaceful reigned supreme. Mm, before me, Sarah. Before me as always. Mm. <laughs> Nobly cackled. Three. Consciousness returned to Grigner in stigmatic pools as his mind gradually cleared of the cobwebs cluttering its inner recesses. Yet the Stygian cloud of charcoal ebony remained, an incompatible shield of blackness, enhanced by the bleak absence of sound. Grigner's muddled brain reeled from the shock of the blow he had received to the base of his skull. The events leading to his predicament were slow to filter back to him. He dickered with the notion that he was dead and had descended or sunk, however it may be, to the shadowed land beyond the aperture of the grave, but rejected this hypothesis when his memory sifted back within his grips. This was not the land of the dead. It was something infinitely more precarious than anything the grave could offer. Death promised an infinity of peace, not the finite misery of an inactive life of confined torture, forever concealed from the life-bearing shafts of the beloved rising sun. The orb that had been before taken for granted, yet now cherished above all else, to be forever refused further glimpses of the snow-capped summits of the land of his birth never again to witness the thrill of plundering unexplored lands beyond the crest of a bleeding horizon, and perhaps worst of all, the denial to ever again encompass the lustful excitement of caressing the naked curves of the body of a trim yawned wench. This was indeed one of the buried chasms of hell concealed within the inner depths of the palaces despised interior, a fearful ebony chamber devised to drive to the brinks of insanity the minds of the unfortunately condemned, through the inapt solitude of a limbo of listless, dreary silence. Three and a half. A tightly wrung elliptical circle of torches cast their wavering shafts prancing morbidly over the smooth surface of a rectangular ridged altar. Expertly chiseled forms of grotesque gargoyles graced the oblique rim, protuberating the length of the grim orifice of death, staring forever ahead into nothingness in complete ignorance of the bloody rites enacted in their presence. Brown flaking stains decorated the golden surface of the ridge surrounding the altar, which had banked to a small slit at the lower right-hand corner of the altar. The slit stood above a crudely pounded pail which had several silver-meshed chalices hanging at its sides. Dangling at the rim off golden mallet, the handle of which was engraved with images of twisted faces and groved at its far end with slots designed for a snug hand grip. The head of the mallet was slightly larger than a clenched fist and shaped into a smooth oval mass. Encircling the marble altar was a congregation of leering shaman, eerie chants of a bygone age originating unknown eons before the memory of man 
were being uttered from the buried recesses of the acolyte's deep lings. Orange paint was smeared in generous globules over the top of Thoa Priest's wrinkled shaven scalps, while golden rings projected from the lobes of their pink ears. Ornate robes of lush or purple satin enclosed their bulging torsos, attached around their waists with silvered silk lashes latched with ebony buckles in the shape of morose, misshaped skulls. Dangling around their necks were oval-fashioned medallions held by thin gold chains, featuring in their centers blood-red rubies which resembled crimson fetish eyeballs. Cushioning their bare feet were plush-red felt slippers with pointed golden spikes projecting from their tips. Situated in front of the altar and directly adjacent to the copper pail was a massive jade idol, a misshaped, hideous bust of the shaman's pagan deity. The shimmering green idol was placed in a sitting posture on an ornately carved golden throne raised upon a round, dvori-plated dais. It bulging arms and webbed hands resting on the padded arms of the seat. Its head was entwined in golden snake-like coils hanging over its oblong ears, which tapered off to thin hollow points. Its nose was as a bulging triangular mass, sunken in at its sides with tau-gaping nostrils. Dramatic beneath the nostrils was a twisted, shaggy-lipped mouth, giving the impression of a slavering, sadistic grimace. At the foot of the heathen deity, a slender, pale-faced female, naked but for a golden, jeweled harness enshrouding her huge, outcropping breasts, supporting long silver laces which extended to her thigh, stood before the pearl-white field with noticeable shivers traveling up and down the length of her exquisitely molded body. Her delicate lips trembled beneath soft, narrow hands as she attempted to conceal herself from the piercing stare of the ambivalent idol. Glaring directly down towards her was the stony, cycloptic face of the bloated deity. Gaping from its single, obling socket was scintillating, many-faceted scarlet emerald, a brilliant gem seeming to possess a life all of its own. A priceless, gleaming stone, capable of domineering the wealth of conquering empires. The Eye of Argon. Four. All knowledge of measuring time had escaped Grigner. When a person is deprived of the sun, moon, and stars, he loses all conception of time as he had previously understood it. It seemed as if years had passed, if time were being measured by terms of misery and mental anguish. Yet he estimated that his stay had only been a few days in length. He has slept three times, and had been fed five times since his awakening in the crypt. However, when the actions of the body are restricted, its needs are also affected. The need for nourishment and slumber are directly proportional to the functions the body has performed. 
meaning that when free and active Grigner may become hungry every 6 hours and witness the desire for sleep every 15 hours. Whereas in his present condition, he may encounter the need for food every 10 hours and the want for rest every 20 hours. All methods he had before depended upon were extinct in the dismal pit. Hence, he may have been imprisoned for 10 minutes or 10 years. He didn't know, resulting in a disheartened emotion deep within his being. The food, if you can honor the moldering lumps of fetid mush to that extent, was borne to him by two guards who opened a portal at the top of his enclosure and shoved it to him in wooden bowls, retrieving the food and water bowls from his previous meal at the same time. After which they threw back the bolts on the iron latch and returned to their other duties. Since deprived of all other means of nourishment, Grigner was impelled to eat the tainted slop in order to ward off the pangs of starvation. Though as he stuffed it into his mouth with his filthy fingers and struggled to force it down his throat, he imagined it was that which had been spurned by the hounds stationed at various segments of the palace. There was little in the barren vault that could occupy his body or mind. He had paced out the length and width of the enclosure time and time again and tested every granite slab which consisted the walls of the prison in hopes of finding a hidden passage to freedom. All of which was to no avail, other than to keep him busy and distract his mind from wandering to thoughts of what he believed was his future. He had memorized the number of strides from one end to the other of the cell, and knew the exact number of slabs which made up the bleak dungeon. Numerous schemes were introduced and alternately discarded in turn, as they suckered to unravel to him no means of escape which stood the slightest chance of success. Anguish continued to mount as his means of occupation were rapidly exhausted. Suddenly, without no tithe, he was routed from his contemplations as he detected a faint scratching sound at the end of the crypt opposite him. The sound seemed to be caused by something trying to scrape away at the granite blocks the floor of the enclosure consisted of. The sandy scratching of something like an animal's claws. Grigner gradually groped his way to the other end of the vault, carefully feeling his way along with his hands ahead of him. When a few inches from the wall, a loud, penetrating squeal and the scampering of small paddled feet reverberated from the walls of the roughly hewn chamber. Grigner threw his hands up to shield his face and flung himself backwards upon his buttocks. A fuzzy form bounded to his hairy chest, burying its talons in his flesh while gnashing towards his throat with its grinding white teeth, its sour, fetid breath scorching the squirming barbarian's dilating nostrils. Grigner grappled with the lashing flexor muscles of the repugnant body of a gargantuan brown-hided rat, striving to hold its razor teeth from his juicy jugular. As its beady gray organs of sight glazed into the flaring emeralds of its prey, taking hold of the rodent around its lean, growling stomach with both hands, Grigner pried it from his crimson-rent breast, removing small patches of flayed flesh from his chest in the motion between the squalid black claws of the starving beast. Holding the rodent at arm's length, he cupped his right hand over its frothing face, 
contracting his fingers into a vice-like fist over the quivering head. Retaining his grips on the rat, Grignir flexed his outstretched arms while slowly twisting his right hand clockwise and his left hand counterclockwise motion. The rodent let out a tortured squall, drawing scarlet as it violently dug its foam-flecked fangs into the barbarian's sweating palm, causing his face to contort to an ugly grimace as he cursed beneath his braith. With a loud crack, the rodent's head parted from its squirming torso, sending out a sprinkling shower of crimson gore, and trailing a slimy string of disjointed vertebrae, snapped trachea, esophagus, and jugular disjointed hyoid bone, morose purple stretched hide, and blood-seared muscles. Flinging the broken body to the floor, Grigner shook his blood-streaked hands and wiped them against his thigh until dry, then wiped the blood that had showered his face and from his eyes. Again sitting himself upon the jagged floor, he prepared to once more revamp his glum meditations. He told himself that as long as he still breathed the gust of life through his lungs, hope was not lost. He told himself this but found it hard to comprehend in his gloomy surroundings. Yet he was still alive, his bulging sinews at their peak of marvel, his struggling mind floating in a myril of impressed excellence of thought. Plot after plot sifted through his mind in energetic contemplations. Then it hit him. Minutes may have passed in silent thought or days. He could not tell but he stumbled at last upon a plan that he considered as holding a slight margin of plausibility. He might die in the attempt, but he knew he would not submit without a final bloody struggle. It was not a foolproof plan, yet it built up a store of renewed vortexed energy in his overwrought soul. Though he might perish in the execution of the escape, he would still be escaping the life of infinite torture in store for him. Either way, he would still cheat the gloating prince of the suckered revenge his sadistic mind craved so dearly. The guards would soon come to bear him off to the prince's buried minds of dread, giving him the sought-after opportunity to execute his newly formulated plan. Groping his way along the rough floor, Grigner finally found his tool in a pool of congealed gore. The carcass of the decapitated rodent the tool that the very filth he had been sentenced to spawned. When the time came for action, he would have to be prepared, so he set himself to rending the sticky hulk in grim silence, searching by the touch of his fingertips for the lever to freedom. 5. Up to the altar and be done with it, wedge, ordered a fidgeting shaman as he gave the female a grim stare accompanied by the wrinkling of his lips to a mirthful grin of delight. The girl burst into a slow, steady whimper, stooping shakily to her knees and cringing woefully from the priest with both arms wound snake-like around the bolding jade jade shin, rising before her scantily attired figure. Her face was redly inflamed from the salty flow of tears spouting from her glassy dilated eyeballs. <laughs> with, with, with short heavy footfalls, the priest approached the female, 
his piercing stare never wavering from her quivering young countenance. Halting before the terrified girl, he projected his arm outward and motioned her to arise with an upward movement of his hand. The girl's whimpering increased slightly as she sunk closer to the floor rather than arising. The flickering torches outlined her trim build with a weird ornate glow as it cast a ghostly shadow dancing in horrid waves of splendor over smoothly worn whiteness of the marble-hewn altar. The shaman's lips curled back farther, exposing a set of blackened, decaying molars which transformed his slovenly grin into a wide, greasy arc of sadistic mirth and alternately interposed into the female a strong sensation of stomach-curdling nausea. Have it as you will, female gloated the enhanced priest as he bent over at the waist, projecting his ape-like arms forward and clasped the female's slender arms with his hairy round fists. With an inward surge of his biceps, he harshly jerked the trembling girl to her feet and smothered her salty wet cheeks with the moldy touch of his decrepit, dull red lips. The vile stench of the shaman's hot fetid breath overcame the nauseated female with a deep, soul-searing sickness, causing her to wrench her head backwards and regurgitate a slimy orange-white steam of swelling gore over the richly woven purple robe of the enthused acolyte. The priest's lips trembled with a malicious rage as he removed his callous paws from the girl's arms and replaced them tightly around her undulating neck shaking her violently to and fro. The girl gasped a tortured groan from her clamped lungs, her sea-blue eyes bulging forth from damp sockets. Cocking her right foot backwards, she leashed it desperately outwards with the strength of a demon possessed, lodging her sandaled foot squarely between the shaman's testicles. The startled priest released his crushing grip, crimping his body over at the waist, overlooking his recessed belly wide open in a deep cassim. His face flushed to a rose-red shade of crimson, eyelids fluttering wide with eyeballs protruding blindly outwards from their sockets to their outmost perimeters, while his lips quivered wildly about allowing an agonized wallow to gust forth as his breath billowed from burning lungs. His hands reached out, clutching his urinary gland, as his knees wobbled rapidly about for a few seconds, then buckled, causing the ruptured shaman to collapse in an egg-huddled mass to the granite pavement, rolling helplessly about in his agony. The pathetic screeches of the shaman groveling in dejected misery upon the hand-hewn granite-laid pavement worn smooth by countless hours of arduous sweat and toil, a welter of ichor oozing through his clenched hands, attracted the perturbed attention of his comrades from their fetid ulations. The actions of this this rebellious wench bespoke the credence of an unheard-of sacrilege. Never before in a lost maze of untold eons had a chosen one dared to demonstrate such blasphemy in the face of the cult's idolic deity. The girl cowered in unreasoning terror, helpless in the face of the emblazoned acolytes' rage. 
her orchid-tussled face smothered betwixt her bulging bosom as she shut her curled lashed tightly, hoping to open them and find herself awakening from a morbid nightmare. Yet the hand of destiny decreed her no such mercy. The antagonized pack of leering shaman, converging tensely upon her prostrate form, were entangled all too lividly in the grim web of reality. Shuddering from the clammy touch of the shaman as they grappled with her supple form, hands wrenching at her slender arms and legs in all directions, her bare body being molested in the midst of a labyrinth of orange smudges, purple satin, and mangled skulls, shadowed in an eerie crimson glow. Her confused head reeled, then clouded in a mist of enshrouding ebony as she lapsed beneath the protective sheet of unconsciousness to a land peach and resign. 6. Take hold of this rope, said the first soldier, and climb out from your pit, slut. Your presence is requested in another far deeper hellhole. Grigner slipped his right hand to his thigh, concealing a small opaque object beneath the folds of the G-string wrapped about his waist. Brinewells swelled in Grigner's cold, jade-squinting eyes, which grown accustomed to the gloom of the Stygian pools of ebony engulfing him, were bedazzled and blinded by flickering radiance cast forth by the second soldier's resin torch. Tightly gripped in the second soldier's right hand, opposite the intermittent torch, was a large double-edged axe, a long leather-wound oaken handled transfixing the center of this weapon's iron head. Adorning the torsos of both of the sentries were thin yet sturdy hauberks, the breetplates of which were woven of tightly hemmed twines of reinforced silver braiding. Cupping the soldier's feet were thick leather sandals, wound about their shins to two inches below their knees. Wrapped about their waists were wide satin girdles, with slender, bladed poniards dangling loosely from them, the hilts of which featured scarlet-encrusted gems. Resting upon the manes of their heads and reaching midway to their brows were smooth copper morions. Spiraling the lower portion of the helmet were short, upcurved silver spikes, while a golden hump spired from the top of each bassinet. Beneath their chins, wound around their necks, and draping their clad shoulders, dangled regal purple satin cloaks, which flowed midway to the soldiers' feet. Hand over hand, feet braced against the dank walls of the enclosure, huge Grigner ascended from the moldering depths of the forlorn abyss. His swelled limbs, stiff due to the boredom of a timeless inactivity, compounded by the musty atmosphere and jagged granite protuberan against his body, craved for action. The opportunity now presenting itself served the purpose of oiling his rusty joints and honing his dulled senses. He braced himself, facing the second soldier. The sentry's stature was, was wildly exaggerated in the glare of the flickering cresset cuppocks in his right fist. His eyes were wide open in a slightly slanted owlish gaze, enhanced in their sinister intensity by the hawkbill curve of his nose and pale yellow peak of his cheeks. Place your hands behind your back, 
said the second soldier as he raised his axe over his right shoulder blade and cast it a wavering glance. We must bind your wrists to parry any attempts at escape. Be sure to make the knot a stout one, Broig. We wouldn't want our guest to take leave of our guidance. Broig grasped Grigner's left wrist and reached for the barbarian's right wrist. Grigner wrenched his right arm free and swiveled to face Broig. Reach beneath his loincloth with his right hand. The sentry grappled at his girdle for the sheathed weapon, but recoiled short of his intentions as Grigner's right arm swept to his gorge. The soldier went limp, his bobbing eyes rolling beneath fluttering eyelids, a deep welt across his spouting gullet. Without lingering to observe the result of his efforts, Grigner dropped to his knees. The second soldier's axe cleft over Grigner's head in a bulls of silvered ferocity, severing several scarlet locks from his scalp. Coming to rest in his fellow's stomach, the iron head crashed through the mail and fleshed with splintering force, spilling a pool of crimsoned entrails over the granite paving. Before the sentry could wrench his axe free from his comrade's carcass, he found Grigner's massive hands clasped around his throat, choking the life from his clamped lungs. With a zealous grunt, the accordion flexed his tightly corded biceps, forcing the grim-faced soldier to one knee. The sentry plunged his right fist into Grigner's face, digging his grimy nails into the barbarian's flesh. Ejaculating a curse through rasping teeth, Grigner surged the bulk of his weight forward, bowling the besieged soldier over upon his back. The sentry's arms collapsed to his thigh, shuddering convulsively, his bulging eyes staring blindly from a bloated, cherry-red face. Rising to his feet, Grigner shook the blood from his eyes, ruffling his surly red mane as a brush fire swaying to the nighttime breeze. Stooping over the spur-sprawled corpse of the first soldier, Grigner retrieved a small white object from a pool of congealing gore. Snorting a gusty billow of mirth, he once more concealed the tiny object beneath his loincloth, the tediously honed pelvis bone of the broken rodent. Returning his attention toward the second soldier, Grigner turned to the task of attiring his limbs. To move about freely through the dim recesses of the castle would require the grotesque garb of its soldiery. Utilizing the silence and stealth acquired in the untamed climbs of his childhood, Grigner slink through the twisting corridors and winding stairways, lighting his way with the confiscated torch of his dispatched guardian. Knowing where his steps were leading to, Grigner meandered aimlessly in search of an exit from the chateau's dim confines. The wild blood coursing through his veins yearned for the undefiled freedom of the livid wilderness lands. Coming upon a fork in the passage he treaked, voices accompanied by clinking footfalls discerned to his sensitive ears from the left corridor. Wishing to avoid contact, Grigner veered to the right passageway. If aquested as to the purpose of his presence, his barbarous accent would reveal his identity, being that his attire was not that of the castle's mercenary troops. In grim silence, Grigner treaded down the dingily lit corridor, a stalking panther creeping warily along on padded feet. 
After an interminable period of wandering through the dull corridors, no gaps to break the monotony of the cold grey walls, Grigner espied a small, winding stairway. Descending the flight of arced granite slabs to their posterior, Grigner was confronted by a short hallway leading to a tall, arched wooden doorway. Halting before the teeming portal portal, Grigner rests his shaggy head sideways against the barrier. Detecting no sounds from within, he grasped the looped metal handle of the door, his arms surging with a tremendous effort of bulging muscles. Yet the door would not budge. Retrieving his axe from where he had sheathed it beneath his girdle, he hefted it in his mighty hands with an apised grunt, and wedging one of its blackened edges into the crack between the portal and its iron-rhymed sill. Bracing his sandaled right foot against the rugedly hewn wall, teeth tightly clenched, Grigner apilevered the oaken haft, employing it as a lever whereby to pry open the barrier. The leather-wound hilt bending to its utmost limits of endurance, the massive portal swung open with a grating of snapped latch and rusty iron hinges. Glancing about the dust-swirled room in the gloomily dancing glare of his flickering cresset, Grigner eyed evidences of the enclosure being nothing more than a forgotten storeroom. Miscellaneous articles required for the maintenance of a castle were piled in disorganized heaps at infrequent intervals toward the wall opposite the barbarian's piercing stare. Utilizing long, bounding strides, Grigner paced his way over to the mounds of supplies to discover if any articles of value were contained within their midst. Detecting a faint clinking sound, Grigner sprawled to his left side with the speed of a striking cobra, landing harshly upon his back. Torch and axe loudly clattering to the floor in a morass of sparks and flame. A elm-woven board leapt from collapsed flooring, clashing against the jagged flooring and spewing a shower of orange and yellow sparks over Grigner's startled face. Rising uneasily to his feet, the half-stunned accordion glanced down at the gruesome arm of death he had unwittingly sprung. Mrific! If not for his keen auditory organs and lightning-steeled reflexes, Grigner would have been groping through the shadowed hell pits of the Grim Reaper. He had unknowingly stumbled upon an ancient, long-forgotten booby trap, a mistake which would have stunted the perusal of longevity of one less agile. A mechanism similar in type to that of a miniature catapult was concealed beneath two collapsible sections of granite flooring. The arm of the device was four feet long, boasting razor-like cleats at regular intervals along its face, with which it was to skewer the luckless body of its would-be victim. Grigner had stepped upon a concealed catch, which released a small metal latch beneath the two granite sections, causing them to fall inward, and thereby loosing the spiked arm of death they precariously held in. Partially out of curiosity, and partially out of an inordinate fear of becoming a pincushion for a possible second trap, Grigner plunged his torch into the exposed gap in the floor. The floor of a second chamber stood out seven feet below the glare. Tossing his torch through the aperture, Grigner grasped the side of an adjoining tile, dropping down. Glancing about the room, Grigner discovered that he had descended into the palace's mausoleum. 
rectangular stone crypts cluttered the floor at evenly paced intervals. The tops of the enclosures were plated with thick layers of virgin gold, what? While the sides were plated with white ivory, at one time sparkling, but now grown dingy through the passage of the rays of all-encompassing Mother Time. Featured at the head of each sarcophagus in tarnished silver was an expugnatively carved likeness of its rotting inhabitant. A dingy atmosphere pervaded the air of the chamber, which, sealed in the enclosure for an unknown period, had grown thick and stale. Intermingling with the curdled currents was the repugnant stench of slowly moldering flesh, creeping ever slowly but surely through minute cracks in the numerous vaults. Due to the embalming of the bodies, their flesh decayed at a much slower rate than is normal. Yet the nauseous odor was nonetheless repellent. Towering over Grigner's head was the trap he released. The mechanism of the miniaturized catapult was cluttered with mildew and cobwebs. Notwithstanding these relics of antiquity, its efficiency remained unimpinged. To the right of the trap wound a short stairway through a recess in the ceiling, a concealed entrance leading to the mausoleum for which the catapult had obviously been erected as a silent, relentless guardian. Climbing up the side of the device, Grigner set to the task of resetting its mechanism. In the E event that a search was organized, it would prove well to leave no evidence of his presence open to wandering eyes. Besides, it might even serve to dwindle the size of an opposing force. Descending from his perch, Grigner was startled by a faintly muffled scream of horrified desperation. His hair prickled yawkishly in disorganized clumps along his scalp, as a cold danced along the length of his spinal cord. No moral-slash-mortal barrier, human or otherwise, was capable of arousing the numbing sensation of fear inside of Grigner's smoldering soul. However, he was overwrought by the forces of the barbarian's instinctive fear of the supernatural. His mighty thews had always served to adequately conquer any tangible foe, but the intangible was something distant and terrible. Dim, horrifying tales passed by word of mouth over glimmering campfires and skins of wine had more than once served the purpose of chilling the marrowed core of his sturdy-limbed bones. Yet, the scream contained a strangely human quality, unlike that which Grigner imagined would come from the lungs of a demon or spirit. Making Grigner take short, nervous strides advancing to the sarcophagus from which the sound was issuing, Clenching his teeth in an attempt to steal his jangled nerves, Grigner slid the engraved slab from the vault with a sharp rasp of grinding stone. Another long-drawn cry of terror-infested anguish met the barbarian, scoring like the shrill piping of a demented banshee, piercing the inner fibers of his superstitious brain with primitive dread, dread, and awe. Stooping over to espy the tomb's contents, the glittering accordion's nostrils were singed by the scorching aroma of a moldering corpse, long shut up and fermenting. The same putrid stench which permeated the entire chamber, though multiplied to a much more concentrated dosage. 
The shriveled leathery packet of crumbling bones and dried, flacking flesh offered no resistance but remained in a fixed position of perpetual vigilance, watching over its dim abode from the hollow gaping sockets. The tortured cries were not coming from the tomb, but from some hidden depth below. Pulling the reeking corpse from its resting place, Grigner tossed it to the floor in a broken, mangled heap. Upon one side of the crypt's bottom was attached a series of tiny hinges, while running parallel along the opposite side of a convex railing like protuberance, laid so as to appear as a part of the interior surface of the sarcophagus. Raising the slab upon its bronzed hinges, long removed from the gaze of human eyes, Grigner perceived a scene which caused his blood to smolder not unlike bubbling, molten lava. Directly below him, a whimpering female lay stretched upon a smooth-surfaced marble altar. A pack of gracie-faced shaman clustered around her in a tight, circular formation. Crouched over the girl was a tall, pot-bellied priest, his face dominated by a disgusting, open-mouthed grimace of sadistic glee. Suspended over the acolyte's clenched right hand was a carven, oval-faced mallet, which he waved menacingly over the girl's shadowed face. An incoherent gibberish flowing from his grinning, thick-lipped mouth. In the face of the amorphous, broad-breeted female, stretched out alluringly before his gaping eyes, the universal whim of nature filling a plea of despair inside of his white-hot soul. Grigner acted in the only manner he could perceive. Giving vent to a hoarse, throat-rending battle cry, Grigner plunged into the midst of the startled shaman, torch simmering in his left hand and axe twirling in his right. A gaunt, skull-faced priest standing at the far side of the altar clutched desperately at his throat coughing furiously in an attempt to catch his breath. Lurching helplessly to and fro, the acolyte pitched headlong against the gleaming base of a massive jade idol. Writhing agonizedly against the hideous image, foam flecking his chalk-white lips, the priest struggled helplessly, the victim of an epileptic seizure. Startled by the barbarian's stunning appearance, the chronic fit of their fellow, and the fear that Grigner might be the avant-garde of a conquering force dedicated to the cause of destroying their degenerated cult, the Salmon momentarily lost their composure. Giving vent to heedless pandemonium, the priests fell easy prey to Grigner's sweeping arc of crimsoned death and maiming destruction. The acolyte performing the sacrifice took a vicious blow to the stomach, hands clutching vitals and severed spinal cord as he sprawled over the altar. The disoranized priests lurched and staggered with split skulls, dismembered limbs, and spewing entrails before the enraged accordion's relentless onslaught. The howless of the maimed and dying reverberated against the walls of the tiny chamber a chorus of hell-fraught despair as the granite floor ran red with blood. The entire chamber was encompassed in the heat of raw savage butchery as Grigner luxuriated in the grips of a primitive, beastly bloodlust. Presently, all went silent save for the ebbing groans of the sinking shaman 
and Grigner's heavy breath accompanied by several gusty curses. The well had run dry. No more lambs remained for the slaughter. The rampaging steed of death, having taken of Grigner for the moment, left the barbarian free to the exploitation of his other perusials. Towering over his head was the misshaped image of the cult's hideous deity, Argon. The fantastic size of the idol, in consideration of its being of pure jade, was enough to cause the senses of any man to stagger and reel. Yet thus was not the cause for the behemoth. He had paid only casual notice to this incredible fact. While riveting the whole of his attention upon the jewel protruding from the idol's sole socket, its masterfully cut faucets emitting blinding rays of hypnotizing beauty. After all, a man cannot slink from a heavily guarded palace while burdened down by the intense bulk of a squatting statue, providing, of course, that the idol can even be hefted, which in fact was beyond the reaches of Grigner's coursing stamina. On the other hand, the jewel, gigantic as it was, would not present a hindrance of any mean concern. Help me. Please, I can make it well worth your while, pleaded a soft, anguish-strewn voice wafting over Grigner's shoulders as he plucked the dull red emerald from its roots. Turning, Grigner faced the female that had lured him into this bloodbath, but whom had become all but forgotten in the heat of the battle. You! ejaculated the accordion in a pleased tone. I thought I had seen the last of you at the tavern, but verily I was mistaken. Grigner advanced into the grips of the female's entrancing stare, severing the golden chains that held her captive upon the altar's highly polished face of ornamental limestone. As Grigner lifted the girl from the altar, her arms wound dexterously about his neck, soft and smooth against his harsh exterior. Art thou pleased that we have a chance to meet once again? Grigner merely voiced and sighed grunt, returning the damsel's embrace while he smothered her trim, delicate lips between the coursing protrusions of his reeking maw. Ugh, let us take leave of this wretched chamber, stated Grigner as he placed the female upon her feet. She swooned a moment, causing Grigner to give her her support, then regained her stance. Art thou able to find your way through the accursed passages of this castle? Merrific! Every one of the corridors of this damned place are identical. I, I was at one time a slave of Prince Agafim. His clammy touch sent a sour swill through my belly, but my efforts reaped a harvest. I gained the pig's liking, whereby he allowed me the freedom of the palace. It was through this means that I eventually managed my escape of the palace. "'Twas a simple matter to seduce the sentry at the western gate. "'His trust found him with a dagger thrust his ribs,' the wench stated, whimsicorically. "'What were you doing at the tavern whence I discovered you?' asked Grigner, as he lifted the female through the opening into the mausoleum. "'I had sought to lay low from the palace's guards as they conducted their search for me. "'The tavern was seldom frequented by the palace guards, and my identity was unknown to the common soldiers.' It was through the disturbance that you caused that the palace guards were attracted to the tavern. I was dragged away shortly after you were escorted to the palace. What are you called by, female? Carthina, daughter of Mincados, Duke of Barwigo, whose lands border along the northwestern fringes of Gorzon. 
I was paid as homage to Agafim upon his thirty-eighth year, husked the femme. And I am called a barbarian, grunted Grigner in a disgusted tone. Aye, the ways of our civilization are in many ways warped and distorted. But what is your calling? She queried. Bustily? Grigner of Accordia. Ah, I have heard vaguely of Accordia. It is the hill country to the far east of the Norgolian Empire. I have also heard Agafim curse your land more than once when his troops were routed in the unaccustomed mountains and gorges, saith she. Aye, my people are not tarnished by petty luxuries and baubles. They remain fierce and unconquerable in their native climes. After reaching the hidden panel in the head of the stairway, Grigner was at a loss in regard to its operation. His fiercest heaves were as pebbles against burnished armor. Carthina depressed a small symbol included within the elaborate design upon the panel, whereupon it slowly slid into a cleft in the wall. How did you come to the victim of those crazed shaman? Quested Grigner, as he escorted Carthina through the piles of rummage on the left side of the trap. By Agafim's orders, I was thrust into a secluded cell to await his passing of sentence. By some means, the priest of Argon acquired a set of keys to the cell. They slew the guard placed over me, and abducted me to the chamber in which you chanced to come upon Vescazisked Sacrifice. Their hell-spawned cult demands a sacrifice once every three moons upon its full journey through the heavens. They were startled by your unannounced appearance through the fear that you had been sent by Agafim. The prince surely would have submitted them to the most ghastly of tortures if he had ever discovered their unfaithfulness to Sargon, his bastard deity. Many of the partakers of the ritual were high nobles and high trustees of the inner palace. Agafim's pitiless wrath would have been unparalleled. They have no more to fear of Agafim now, bellowed Grigner in a deep, mirthful tone, a gleeful smirk upon his face. I have seen that they were delivered from his vengeance. Engrossed by Carthena's graceful stride and conversation, Grigner failed to take note of the footfalls rapidly approaching behind him. As he swung aside the arched portal linking the chamber with the corridors beyond, a maddened, blood-lusting screech reverberated from his eardrums. Seemingly utilizing the speed of thought, Grigner swiveled to face his unknown foe. With gaping eyes and widened jaws, Grigner raised his axe above his surly mane. But he was too late. 7. With wobbling knees and swimming head, the priest that had lapsed into an epileptic seizure rose unsteadily to his feet. While enacting his choking fit in writhing agony, the shaman was overlooked by Grigner. The barbarian had mistaken the seizure for the death throes of the acolyte, allowing the priest to avoid his stinging blade. The sight that met the priest's inflamed eyes nearly served to sprawl him upon the floor once more. The sacrificial sat it grim. Blood splattered silence all around him, broken only by the occasional yelps and howless of his maimed and butchered fellows. Above his head rose the hideous idol, its empty socket holding the shaman's effurbished 
infuriated gaze. His eyes turned to a stony glaze with the realization of the pillage and blasphemy. Due to his high susceptibility following the seizure, the priest was transformed into a raving maniac bent solely upon wreaking vengeance. With lips curled and quivering, a crust of foam dripping from them, the acolyte drew a long, wicked-looking, jewel-hilted scimitar from his silver girdle and fled through the aperture in the ceiling, uttering a faintly perceptible ceremonial gibberish. Seven and a half. A sweeping scimitar swung towards Grigner's head in a shadowed blur of motion. With axe, capital A, raised over his head, Grigner prepared to parry the blow, while gaping wide-eyed in open-mouthed perplexity. Suddenly, a sharp snap resounded behind the frothing shaman. The scimitar, halfway through its fatal sweep, dropped from a quivering, nerveless hand, clattering harmlessly to the Stone Age. Cutting his screech short with a bubbling, red-mouthed gurgle, the lacerated acolyte staggered under the pressure of the released springboard. After a moment of hopeless struggling, the shaman buckled, sprawling face down in a widening pool of blood and entrails. His regal purple robe blending enhancingly with the swirling streams of crimson. Merrific! I thought I had killed the last of those dogs, muttered Grigner in a half-apathetic state. Nay, Grigner, you doubtless grew careless while giving vent to your lusts. But let us not tarry any long, lest we overtax the fates. The paths leading to freedom will soon be barred. The wretch's cry must certainly have attracted unwanted attention, the wench mused. By what direction shall we pursue our flight? Up that stair and down the corridor a short distance is the concealed entrance to a tunnel seldom used by others than the prince, and known to few others save the palace's royalty. It is used mainly by the prince when he wishes to take leave of the palace in secret. It is not always in the prince's best interests to leave his chateau in public view. Even while under heavy guard, he is often assaulted by hurtling stones and rotting fruits. The commoners have little love for him. Lectured the narrowity. It is amazing that they would ever have left a pig like him to become their ruler. I should imagine that his people would rise up and crucify him like the dog he is. Alas, Grigner, it is not as simple as all that. His soldiers are well paid by him. So long as he keeps their wages up, they will carry out his damned wished. The crude implements of the common folk would never stand up under an onslaught of forged blades and protective armor. They would be going to their own slaughter, stated Carthina to a confused but angered Grigner as they topped the stairway. Yet how can they bear to live under such oppression? I would sooner die beneath the sword than live under such a dog's command, added Grigner as the pair stalked down the hall in the direction opposite that in which Grigner had come. But all men are not of the same mold that you were born of. They choose to live as they are, so as to save their filthy necks from the chopping block," returned Carthina in a disgusted tone as she cast an apised glance toward the stalwart figure at her side, whose left arm was wound dexterously about her slim waist, his slowly waning torch casting their images in intermingling wisps 
as it dangled from his left hand. Presently, Carthina came upon the panel, concealed amongst the other granite slabs and discernible only by the burned-out cresset above it. As I push the cresset aside, push the panel inwards. Carthina motioned to the panel she was referring to and twisted the cresset in a counterclockwise motion. Grigner braced his right shoulder against the walling, concentrating the force of his bulk against it. The slab gradually swung inward with a slight grating sound. Carthina stooped beneath Grigner's corded arms and crawled upon all fours into the passage beyond. Grigner followed after, easing the slab back into place. Winding before the pair was a dark, musty tunnel, exhibiting tangled spiderwebs from it ceiling to wall and an oozing, sickly slime running lazily upon its floor. Hanging from the chipped wall upon Grigan R's right side was a half-moldered corpse, its gray flacking arms held in place by rusted iron manacles. Carthina flinched back into Grigner's arms at sight of the leering set in an ugly distorted grimace, staring horribly at her from hollow gaping sockets. This alcove must also be used by Agafim as a torture chamber. I wonder how many of his enemies have disappeared into these haunts, never to be heard from again, pondered the hulking brute. Let us flee before we are also caught within Agafim's ghastly clutches. The exit from this tunnel cannot be very far from here, said Carthina, with a slight sob to her voice, as she sagged in Grigner's encompassing embrace. Aye, it will be best to be finished with this corridor as soon as it is possible. But why do you flinch from the sight of death so? Marift, you have seen much death this day without exhibiting such emotions, exclaimed Grigner, as he led her trembling form along the dingy confines. The man hanging from the wall was Doyanta. He had committed the folly of showing affections for me in front of Agathine. He never meant any harm by his actions. At this, Carthina broke into a slow, steady whimpering, chalking her voice with gasping sobs. There was never anything between us. Yet Agathine did this to him. The beast! May the demons of hell's deepest haunts claw away at his wretched flesh for this merciless act, she prayed. I detect that you felt more for this fellow than you wished to let on. But enough of this. We can talk of such matters after we are once more free to do so. With this, Grigner lifted the grieved female to her feet and strode onward down the corridor, supporting the bulk of her weight with his surging left arm. Presently, a dim light was <laughs> Presently, a dim light was perceptively filtering into the tunnel, casting a dim reddish hue upon the moldy wall of the passage's grim confines. Carthina had ceased her whimpering and partially regained her composure. <sighs> the tunnel's end must be nearing. Rays of sunlight are beginning to seep into. <laughs> Grigner clamed his right hand over Carthina's mouth and with a slight struggle pulled her over to the shadows at the right-hand wall of the path, while at the same time thrusting this torch beneath an overhanging stone to smother its flickering rays. Be silent. I can hear footfalls approaching through the tunnel, growled Grigner in a hushed tone. All that you hear, the horse is corralled at the far end of the tunnel. That is a further sign that we are nearing our goal, she stated. All that you hear is less than I hear. I heard footsteps coming towards us. Silence yourself that we may find out whom we are being brought into contact with. 
I doubt that any would have thought as yet of searching this passage for us. The advantage of surprise will be on our side. Grigner warned. Carthina cast her eyes downward and ceased any further pursuit towards conversation, an irritating habit in which she had gained an amazing proficiency. Two figures came into the pair's view from around a turn in the tunnel. They were clothed in rich, luxuriant silks and rambling o'an in conversation, while ignorant of their crouching foes waiting in ambush ahead. That barbarian dog is cringing beneath the weight of the lash at this moment, sire. He shall cause no more disturbance. Mm. And so it is with any who dare cross the path of Sargon's chosen one, said the second man. But the peasants are showing signs of growing unrest. They complain that they cannot feed their families well burdened with your taxes. Hmm, I shall teach those sluts the meaning of humility. Order an immediate increase upon their taxes. They dare to question my sovereign authority. <laughs> they shall soon learn what true oppression can be. I will- A shadowed bulk leapt from behind a jutting promontory as it brought down a double-edged axe with the sped of a striking thought. One of the nobles sagged lifeless to the ground, skulls split to the teeth. Grigner gasped as he observed the bisected face set in its leering death agonies. It was Agafind! The dead man's comrade, having recovered from his shock, drew a jewel-encrusted dagger from beneath the folds of his robe and lunged toward the barbarian's back. Grigner spun at the sound from behind him and smashed down his crimsoned axe once more. His antagonist lunged, howling to a stream of stagnant green water, grasping a spouting stump that had once been a wrist. Grigner raised his axe over his head and prepared to finish the incomplete job, but was deterred halfway through his lunge by a frenzied screech from behind. Carthina leapt to the head of the writhing figure, plunging a smoldering torch into the agonized face. The howls increased in their horrid intensity, stifled by the sizzling of roasting flesh then died down until the man was reduced to a blubbering mass of squirming, insensate flesh. Grigner advanced to Carthena's side, wincing slightly from the putrid aroma of charred flesh that rose in a puff of thick, white smog throughout the chamber. Carthena reeled slightly, staring dacedly downward at her gruesome handiwork. I had to do it. It was Agafim. I... I had to, she exclaimed. Sargon should be more careful of his right-hand men, added Grigner, a smug grin upon his lips. But to hell with Sargon for now. The stench is becoming bothersome to me. With that, Grigner grasped Carthina around the waist, leading her around the bend in the cave and out into the open. A ball of... <laughs> okay. A ball of feral red was rising through the mists of the eastern horizon, dissipating the slinking shadows of the night. A corral stood before the pair, enclosing two grazing mares. Grigner reached into a weighted-down leather pouch dangling at his side and drew forth the scintillant red emerald he had obtained from the bloated idol. Raising it toward the sun, he said, 
What shall we do with Bobble, eh? Carthina gaped at the gem, gasping in a terrified manner. <gasps> the Eye of Argon! Oh, Kala! At this, the gem gave off a blinding glow, then dribbled through Grigner's fingers in a slimy red ooze. Grigner stepped back, pushing Carthina behind him. The droplets of slime slowly converged into a pulsating, jelly-like mass. A single opening transfixed the blob, forminth into a leech-like maw. Then the hideous transgressor of nature flowed towards Grigner, a trail of greenish slime lingering behind it. The single gap puckered repeatedly, emitting a ghastly sucking sound. Grigner spread his legs into a battle stance, stealing his quivering thew. <sighs> Grigner spread his legs into a battle stance, stealing his quivering thews for a battle royale with a thing he knew not how to fight. Carthina wound her arms about her protector's neck, mumbling, "Kill it, kill!" while her entire body trembled. The thing was almost upon Grigner when he buried his axe into the grisly maw. It passed through the blob and clanged upon the ground. Grigner drew his axe back with a film of yellow-green slime clinging to the blade. The thing was seemingly unaffected. Then it started to sluice up his leg. The hairs upon his nape stewed on end from the slimy feel of the thing's bully bulk. The Natus sucking sound became louder, and Grigner felt the blood being drawn from his body. With each hiss of the hideous pucker, the thing increased in size. Grigner shook his foot about madly in an attempt to dislodge the blob, but it clung like a leech, still feeding upon his rapidly draining life fluid. He grasped with his hands, trying to rip it off, but only found his hands entangled in a sticky glue-like substance. The slimy thing continued its puckering, now having grown the size of Grigner's leg from its vampiric feast. Grigner began to reel and stagger under the blob, his chalk-white face and faltering muscles attesting to the gigantic loss of blood. Carthina slipped from Grigner in a death-like faint, a morrow chilling scream upon her red, rubbish lips. In final desperation, Grigner grasped the smoldering torch upon the ground and plunged it into the reeking maw of the travesty. A shudder passed through the thing. Grigner felt the blackness closing upon his eyes, but held on with the last ebb of his rapidly waning vitality. He could feel its grip lessening as a hideous gurgling sound erupted from the writhing maw. The jelly-like mass began to bubble like a vat of boiling tar as quivers passed up and down its entire form. And that is the end of the available copy. If you want to hear the lost ending, you should subscribe to the RPPR Patreon at patreon.com slash RPPR.